Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focused on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we're going to do a little bit of coffee talk. We talked to two of the original roasters in town about the coffee scene in Columbus, fair trade, how you can get your cup of coffee, how you shouldn't get your cup of coffee, how globalization and communication has affected the marketplace, and we talk a little bit about running a small business in Columbus. First up, a conversation with Brandon Burr, the coffee sourcing and education manager for Crimson Cup, then a chat with Jeff Davis, the owner of Brioso Coffee, which now has two locations in downtown Columbus. You can get more information on the roasters and more things that we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. This week, the Confluence Cast is sponsored by Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea, Roast Magazine's 2016 Roaster of the Year in North America. They travel the globe to buy awesome coffee directly from farmers, then carefully hand roast each bean in small batches here in Columbus. Sip on their award-winning coffees, nitro-infused cold brews, and coffee cocktails served up at their coffee houses in Clintonville and Upper Arlington. Learn more at crimsoncup.com. Enjoy the interviews. Sitting down here with Brandon Burr, the coffee sourcing and education manager for Crimson Cup Coffee. Brandon, how are you today? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Good. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for bringing coffee. Uh, my office is actually out today, and so this is a, a pleasant surprise. Tell us, first of all, about Crimson Cup and how it got its beginnings. So Crimson Cup has been around. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, this year, and uh, we, we started off 1991 doing a little bit of office uh, coffee supply, and then we just uh, started getting into the coffee house scene and started supplying independent coffee houses. And now um, we've grown to a point where we're providing over 150 full line customers in around 32 states and also Bangladesh. Why that market specifically? Uh, so one of our largest clients is OSU. And so uh, some students there fall in love with the idea of our coffee and um, the idea of having a coffee house and they go back home and they miss it. And so that's the case here where someone missed it and wanted to take it back to the people of Bangladesh. There you go. Hopefully more international students latch onto the coffee. Absolutely. Good. How long have you been there? So I've been with Crimson Cup for a little over six and a half years. Okay. And you have, you are, per the website, you are a cupper there at Crimson Cup. A you, cup coffee. What is a cupper? So a cupper is someone that analyzes uh, flavors and uh, aromas and just uh, quality of, of a cup of coffee. And there's there's certain protocol for that, and there's, there's standards, regulations, procedures. And uh, is I'm, there is there an overseeing body that there is? So like we use the SCAA, which is the Specialty Coffee Association of America. Okay. We use their protocol, and that's kind of like the, the you gold can get standard. more information on the SCAA in the show notes for this episode. Absolutely. So, but you specifically are a little bit sort of higher up while you are a cupper. Yes. You are also, what is the term for, for your certification? So I'm a, I'm a Q grader, which is a, which is a certification kind of similar to like a sommelier. It's given out by the Coffee Quality Institute, 
which is a nonprofit institute uh, kind of funded by the SCAA. Okay. Walk me through your day or maybe a, a fiscal quarter of your job and sort of what, what it is that you do. So part of, part of what I do is I help run this location that we have down in Bexley. Uh, it's called the Innovation Lab. This is an area where we have a classroom and an application lab, a roasting lab, and a cupping lab. And we try to innovate new products, new drinks, new coffees. Uh, we also teach and train. So I'm typically running barista classes. There's, there's a gentleman there, Dave Eldridge, and he runs a roasting class. And uh, soon enough, in late October, we actually get inspected to become an SCAA certified lab. And that means that we can start giving out Barista Guild um, certifications and Roaster Guild certifications, cupping certifications, so on and so forth. So then in addition to the education aspect, I also work with Dave closely and we cup coffees. We cup existing coffees. We cup samples that come in from different countries, uh, from different travels that we take, just just a lot of that. Do you have a lab coat that you wear? Is that the sort of environment that you're working in? Mm, or I, I currently, I would love a lab coat, um, but I currently I think you demand a lab. <laughs> I currently wear a some aprons, different okay. aprons. I kind of collect aprons, to tell you the truth. Okay, so it is sort of a not a sterile environment, but a formal environment for cupping this coffee and and creating it. And Absolutely, it. the the room is there again. There's guidelines and procedure, and that's not just with the actions of cupping there's there's rules that you have to have you know white you try to have white walls and you can't have any distinguishable smells inside the room or facility and there's certain things that you have to you have to have in the in the lab and it has to be quiet and everyone has to focus and no one can talk during the cupping and is that true yeah absolutely okay okay crimson cup is while it does have two physical locations here in Columbus, two rather consumer locations. Yep. You also have the facility in Bexley. Yep. It is primarily a supplier of coffee to third-party coffee shops. Absolutely. So th- the majority of our business is in the wholesale end, where we roast. I don't know. We roast over half a million pounds right now. And that goes out to colleges and universities. It goes out to independent coffee houses, specialty retailers. We have a really good relationship with a lot of guys in town like the Hills and Wylands. Um, again, I said OSU and several other colleges and universities, but uh, also some consumer, direct to consumer from our roastery. And so what's unique, I think, though, is that you do offer training to those individual coffee shops. Let's say I was interested in getting a coffee shop going in a, in a small location. Right. I could come to you and say, hey, I'm vaguely interested in using your coffee, but I also actually just need help in learning how to start a coffee shop. For sure. So that's, you know, Greg, the owner of the company, had, had written a, a book several years back. It's called Seven Steps to Success. And uh, that's something that we encourage our clients to use and to read before they actually think about getting into the coffee industry. Make sure they're really serious about it. That's that's just one aspect of it. And then, you know, when they do say, yes, we want to open up the coffee house, we kind of offer them marketing and training and, and things to that effect. Is that part of what happens at the location in Bexley? Absolutely. So that's like our, that's the training, training area as well as uh, the innovation area. So you brought in some coffee today again. I did. And thank you for that. Talk about where this 
comes from because I think it gives a good illustration of sort of how you guys work and how you acquire your coffee. Absolutely. So this is an Ethiopian Kosa Cabina. It's a coffee that uh, we found in Ethiopia is there in January with several other roasters this this trip. We went there to make a relationship with an existing place that a farm that we buy coffee from. And it just didn't work out. We, we still got to make that relationship. But uh, this, this coffee kind of fell into our laps and we really, really liked it. And we brought it back home and roasted it and found out that it was pretty spectacular. So it is similar to a wine rep or a wine buyer going out to California specifically for like one vineyard and then taking a day and touring around and then discovering something totally new and something they didn't necessarily expect. Absolutely. So we we went and this this was just kind of we fell into it. The person that took us, the the company that took us had been purchasing coffee from a, a specific co-op and so we found a neighboring uh, And there's a co-op of farms. Yes. Okay. And the neighboring farm had a lot of separation, so they they kind of separated the certain coffee from the rest of the coffees and I said, "Hey man, I want to try that." And so I got a sample in and Heck, it was really, really good. So. And so what happens then in terms of logistics? You then make an agreement for a purchase Yep. and you get it here. So it's 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 kind of a really complicated process because a lot of things can happen from point A to point B. Well, you're talking about international shipping too, right? right? And you're talking about a grain that has a you know moisture content of eleven to thirteen percent. So okay. there's a lot of things that can happen within the container, within the bag that that can alter the flavor of the coffee. And coffee is really good at doing some crazy things during shipping. So we get a sample when it lands and like. Let's say we get our coffee in New Jersey. Okay. So we get a sample, we approve it, and we say, yes, this is good. If something were to happen, there's insurance, obviously, from point A to point B, and um, that all gets very complicated. And there's like over eight government agencies that you have to talk to to get a container of coffee. In and the I assume States. you've got guys that sort of handle that. You, you are not necessarily the guy on the ground handling that. That, that sort typically, of thing. that typically is the case. We we typically have a an agent help us out with that. Okay. And so once it gets here, once all that is handled, then sort of the roasting process happens. Yep. So then we take it to that innovation lab and uh, we roast it several different ways. We try it in different methods and then we say, okay, this is the way we want to do it. We come up with a curve and we talk to our production roasters and say, hey guys, let's, you know, let's do this curve and they try it and they say, yeah, I agree. This is good. So there's a long process from getting it into the building to getting it to the consumer because we've got to figure out where we want to put it and how we want to roast it. How long is that process then? It's anywhere from maybe two weeks to, I don't know, a month if, if, if we're really slammed with new coffees. Okay. And what's, I mean, what's the shelf life then? Like what's the, I'm getting into the nuts and bolts because it's, no, it's it. the thing I'm interested in. You know, you have some risk of it going quote unquote bad, right? Right. So there's so many different variables in that mix. Well, the thing that I think consumers don't don't really typically understand is that there's a resting period for the coffee. So when we when we pick the coffee off the tree, we process it and there's there's a lot that goes into that and there's a lot of hands that touch it there. But then after it's been dried to that 11 to 13% moisture, we want to let it rest. Because if we were to just take it and roast it as is, it'd be very um, green flavored. So very vegetal uh, because it's very, very fresh. So we want it to rest and we want some of the chemicals inside to change a little bit. Having it two months after it's actually been picked is a good thing. And then even 
maybe an additional month of rest when it gets to the United States is a really great thing. And that coffee, depending on what it's like stored in, if it's stored in like a jute bag or if it's stored in uh, Grain Pro, which is like a plastic, pretty much like a Ziploc bag. Okay. If it's stored in one of those, it can last a lot longer than if it's just stored with open air. Where's the production facility? Our production facility happens to be about a mile and a half down Alum Creek towards Bexley. Does it smell good down there? It does, but roasting coffee smells different than roasted coffee. It just has, I mean, you can always, traveling through Chicago neighborhoods, you can always tell when you're close to a roastery because of this, the smell in the air. But uh, Do you like that smell? I do, actually. I don't. No, I, I know a lot of people that don't. Because it smells, I mean, I like the smell of coffee, absolutely, right. but it smells a little, you know, it smells like something is wrong. Right. It smells like, bur- <laughs> it smells like burning a bit. Right. At the Innovation Lab in Bexley, you guys offer consumer courses as well. We do. What happens in that consumer course? What what can people learn? So there's there's several different consumer courses that we have and we're just gonna we're gonna continue to expand them. You know, we just opened that facility January fifteenth. So oh, okay. uh, we're trying to get this the certification process done and then we'll offer even more consumer classes. But right now we have a coffee one oh one class where it talks about, you know, processing coffee, the history of coffee, how coffee gets from point A to point B. So from there to here to you. And then we also have a roasting class for home roasters. And that's just a a really basic, like, this is how you get a roast curve. Here's the thing you buy. Right. Here here are the different ways that you can use it. Right. Okay. And then we also have a brewing class. Um, We're going to be offering a barista class for consumers. So if someone's like a, you know, they have a small espresso machine at home and they want to know how to use it a a little better at least right then they can come in and we can give them some tips and tricks do you imagine that scaling and sort of seeing that as an ongoing revenue stream or is it sort of like a an affinity building exercise with consumers that's pretty much what it i mean we're not we're not there to to make a ton of money off of our consumers and i i think that the education is everyone everyone in a columbus coffee has the same goal and that's to educate consumers and to bring awareness to the supply chain or like what I like to call it the value chain. Okay. So we want to make sure that they know that there's a 25 million people that touch their coffee before it actually gets to them. So there's a, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but there's, there's a lot of people that are, that are involved and that depend, you know, their livelihood depends on, on coffee and it's just not something that's just made automatically you know right. there's a lot of there's a lot of attention and detail that goes into it and so that these consumer courses are to bring more awareness to that increase the quality of the cup hopefully change people's minds about you know it's just not it's not bean juice it's something a little bit more special right and we've talked on this podcast with people in the past about sort of being in it is a commodity. Right. It is truly a commodity. And that's yep. not, unless you're going to a very specific kind of coffee shop, it's going to continue to be a commodity for people. Right. Can you give me sort of a, a brief rundown of what a customer who maybe drinks Folgers, what can you know about c- coffee? For instance, what's the difference between light and dark roast coffee? So light and dark roast uh, can be Several other things. I can, I can, a lot of people equate it to time. Okay. But I, I don't think that's a good way to, to say it. It's, it's more of a temperature thing. So if I light roast a coffee, I can light roast a coffee and I can have light roast a coffee that's roasted for 20 minutes. I don't want it to be 20 minute long roast because you're going to bake it and it's not going to have any acidity and it's going to 
just taste bland. Okay. So dark roasted coffee can be roasted in five minutes if you just crank up the heat high enough. It's about light. The difference between light roasted and dark roasted coffee is just the way that you caramelize the sugars and the, the way that you, when you dump it at what temperature. Typically you dump light roasted coffee at four to four fifteen or something like that. And so what's the difference for the customer then? For the customer, I'd say it's just flavor. So people light roast coffee to highlight the true flavor of the coffee. Whereas people dark roast coffee to kind of disguise, this isn't always necessarily the, you know, the way that it is. But for us, you might dark roast a coffee if there's some imperfections in the bean. You might dark roast a coffee because that's the way that you like to drink it. So I'm not going to say that light roasted coffee is better than dark roasted coffee. But you're saying that light roasted coffee but is if, better than dark roasted if I, coffee. If I have a 90 plus point coffee, I'm not going to dark roast the flavor out of it because right. it's just been, there's too, been too much attention paid to that, you know, that bean to get it to that point. And I don't, I don't want to get rid of those flavors. But I imagine that there are some beans that lend themselves a little bit more to dark Abs- roasted. Absolutely. Like I like dark roasted Guatemalan coffees, like really high grown Guatemalan coffees because they're typically really chocolatey and they have a lot of lemon acidity to them. So there's a lot of citric acid that's formed and malic acids that's formed. And so it's usually really, really bright if you light roast it. If you take it just a little bit further, you, you can kind of tame that acidity and uh, you can do that light roasted as well but I like that chocolatey note that dark chocolate note that you get out of it you referenced a 93 point coffee what do you mean by that so coffee um, specialty coffee is anything over 80 points and we have this scale and so that cupping the cupping protocol and procedure we use a form and it it puts a a number value to each aspect of the coffee like acidity and, and sweetness and body and so on and so forth but this is not a it's not like the Olympic no. where there's a judge in the corner it's literally you guys are g- given the standards that you're aware of yep you guys rank the coffee absolutely and that's part of this you know this q grader thing the that i the certification that i have is to make sure that everyone's talking the same language that everyone's calibrated enough that they can say this is a 93 point coffee and you got a bunch of people that can agree upon that so that we can talk the same language. We want to make sure that when I rate something a 91 point coffee, someone's not going to write it a 99 or a, a 79, you know, that we're all around the same, same number. But that score, the higher it is, it is truly quote unquote better coffee. Absolutely. Anything over 90 is outstanding. Okay. What rank are the coffees that are served at the two customer facing locations in Columbus? So we have anywhere from 86 point blend to um, a 95 rated 95 point coffee. Okay. So it just, de- it just, just depends on what you want, you know, uh, our espresso just, well, why wouldn't someone want the higher ranked coffee? Because typically you want to pay a little bit more attention to the brewing variables when you're, when you're brewing a 93 point coffee rather than an 86 seven point coffee or you know something like that I, I just think that if someone wants something very good very fast good things come with time so if if you wait five minutes I can brew you a fantastic cup of 87 point coffee or a fantastic cup of 93 point coffee I think that it just is what the consumer wants so the consumer demands speed efficiency right so uh, it's really hard because there's deliver. a difference between you guys brewing it back there with like a pour over right. and you guys handing over a cup and letting them go to the corner and pour it for themselves. Right. Talk about sort of the different, what are the different options for the ways that somebody can brew it for you there at the coffee shop? So we have, we have so many different methods. I mean, we, 
Well, let's, what are the what are the call outs that a customer can do? So if if you want it in a Chemex, you can get it in a Chemex. If you want it, what's a Chemex? A Chemex is a it's a a glass vessel, and it has a very very fine paper filter. I mean, it's been around forever. I think it got its patent in like 1941. Okay. And uh, they used to actually blow the glass here in the United States, and now that's outsourced. But they're still made in Pennsylvania. It's just a really pretty um, piece of coffee equipment. It's actually in the Museum of Modern, Modern Art. Okay. But it produces a fantastic cup of coffee. So it's just a, it's a cone pour over. So you just have a cone shape on the top. You pour water over the top of the coffee in a very specific way and you the resulting beverage is delicious. So then we have a clever coffee dripper which is like it uses the same principle as a homemaker like it has the has the same kind of filter like a number 2 number 4 filter and it's just a steep and release. So the coffee sits in there with hot water and then you put it on top of a cup and it releases. And I really like that way. It's like a cleaned up French press essentially. Okay. And then we have the French press. There's great versions of that and there's okay versions of that. I'm not a huge fan of it because there's not a lot of purity in the cup. But again, like if you're a dark roast person, French press just adds to that sensation, you know, gives you more body and gives you more of that carbonic flavor if you're into it. In addition to that, we have uh, Hario V60, which is another cone. It's a, the filter isn't as fine as like a Chemex. So you get a lot of flavor notes out of it. A lot of like, a lot of the solubles come through that filter. So there's a lot of flavor highlights. So if you put a really not so great coffee into that kind of method, you would be highlighting some of those not so great flavors. Gotcha. So you need to have a good coffee for that method in my eyes. How would you recommend someone sort of discovering their favorite cup of coffee? I think that just, just being open-minded and trying as many things as you possibly can. You don't know if you like something until you try it. Absolutely. So if if you want to try something, if you want to come to our shops and try something and uh, you're really confused on what to get or just ask a barista and they should be able to guide you through the process and give you a good idea of what you might like according even to what you already do like. Or yeah, indeed, just walk up to them and say, this is the kind of coffee I normally have. Right. How much do you judge people that like pour a ton of sugar in their coffee no judgment i mean everyone's Cream. palates everyone's palates different okay so i've seen people take like i saw someone take a 90 a mid 90 point coffee and put pumpkin syrup in it and that just <laughs> recently happened and it hurt my heart a little bit right but at the same time if that person doesn't enjoy that cup of coffee and they had to put a little sugar in there to make it uh palatable do- yeah for them. Ab- absolutely then you know what that's them you know, there's there's no judgment passed on those people. But it I, still hurts your heart a little it bit. It does, because I just know the hard work that went into it to put that pumpkin syrup into the coffee. So it's okay. Can you speak to the coffee scene in Columbus and sort of how you've seen it evolve and sort of what you like in, cer- in terms of trends that are yeah, happening? absolutely. So I've been in coffee for over 10 years now. And when I first got into coffee, there was... How did you get started in coffee? Just working as as a barista? So yeah, so I kind of fell into it. I I went to culinary school for a little bit and fell into a management job at a local coffee company and then just worked my way up and started getting into it a little bit more and then found my way to Crimson Cup. Can I ask where that was? Is at Nordstrom Espresso Bar. Ah. Yes. Ah. So uh, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, it just it just led me to Crimson Cup, which really made me evolve as a coffee professional. But Columbus in general has just become 
one of the best places for coffee in the United States. I think that we're super underrated and people don't realize that. Well, under-recognized. Under-recognized, right. for sure. Because people, people, I think, from Pittsburgh, from Dayton, from Cincinnati, I mean, even though the, all those places, Indianapolis, all those places have great roasters, I think that Columbus has a really good concentration of really high-end roasters. I mean, there's so many, so many good people in town doing a lot of doing a lot of innovation and that's the thing if you want something different you can come to columbus and try what i think we're we're leading the pack and they can try something that is new and exciting is there sort of any recognition for columbus you know you see all these you know number six best place for young professionals right. and is columbus sort of receiving accolades like that for its coffee i think there's been a few articles here and there about it we want a roaster of the year through okay. Roast Magazine and Crimson Cup did. Crimson Cup did. Though that is about us, at the same time, I think things like that can only bring attention to the Columbus coffee market. You know, I had several roasters reach out to me and say, hey man, congrats. Thanks for doing, you know, for pushing this through and, you know, doing a press release about this because this is kind of a big deal for Columbus and it brings more attention to everyone within the market, within the industry. More things like that can only help. And, you know, you got the guys down at one line going to competition and stuff, getting a lot of accolades for that. You know, the guys at Rioso and Mission doing awesome things. Fox in the Snow, all these, all these different cafes that are doing some, some great things. And uh, I think as we continue to grow as a community and we get closer and closer and closer and we start, start doing more events, the more recognition we're going to get. Are there Columbus-centric events that people can check out to sample the different roastings, learn more, not just from, while I'm sure your experience from customer education is fantastic, if somebody wanted to sort of sample what Columbus has to offer, are those things available? Well, last weekend we had the the Columbus Coffee C- Caffeine Crawl. That's a That's an annual event. And that's something where this this company out of Kansas City, Missouri, they they do this in different cities around the United States, and they picked us up last year. Okay. And this year, I think, was a, a great success again. They had two days of tours, so a lot of people grabbed onto that and got to experience different different coffee companies in, in Columbus. In addition to that, there's the coffee trail, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 Columbus coffee experience as well. I think as we grow, there's going to have to be an event that highlights all of us roasters and all, all of the shops. Cause I mean, there's, there's a, I think there's a demand for it within the market. Great. Talk about sort of what guides your work in terms of sustainability, in terms of fair trade. And I know that given that it's a commodity, it's something that people talk about a lot. Right. So I think something that that we are super passionate about is our own direct trade program. We call it Friend of Farmer. And it's we have criteria for it and we're actually developing it a little bit further and and holding ourselves we really want to hold ourselves accountable for what we're saying we're doing and we want people to be able to um, see the traceability. 100% traceability to to the process and to the product. We work within several different countries like Guatemala and Honduras and you know I was just in Peru for my third year down there and we're doing some projects with these people and we work with agronomists in those areas and we we really try to increase the quality of the cup cuz I personally think that that's part of sustainability is mm-hmm. you know consumers want higher better graded coffee we want to provide that and farmers need education and and bringing in agronomists from the local area into those farms to help 
you know, educate is a is a huge part of that. And I'm sorry, for those that don't know, what's an agronomist? An agronomist is someone that uh, is familiar with agriculture. So okay. like just, just production, cultivation of crops and understanding botany. And I think that it's, it has to be area specific because, okay. you know, soil is different. It's different every, every, all yeah. around the world, right? Absolutely. And different varietals and, you know, different farming methods and cultures as well. I mean, you got to, you got to really understand the culture that, that is within that coffee growing country. So I think that's something that we're super passionate about is, is bringing that story to the consumers again, bringing that transparency to the consumers so that they understand this is a person behind this cup. And there's, there's a lot of people that depend on you enjoying this cup of coffee, you know, and, uh, appreciating that it's, it's not just a small commodity product. It's, it's something greater. It's someone's livelihood. I just want to turn it on its head just a little bit yeah. and say, are there, what do you roll your eyes at? And you know, what are the bad things that are happening? Gas station coffee, right? Uh, Starbucks. Is there, everybody's trying to provide a, a this commodity, a right. cup of coffee to people. What are the quote unquote bad ways that that's happening? For me personally, I hate when we talk about origin specific coffee at like really big, really big places that they're just saying it because it's, it's sexy or, you know, it, because people like saying the word Guatemala. Yeah. Guatemala or Brazil, Brazilian coffee. And the, the reality behind a lot of those places is that, you know, they're buying commercial grade coffee. These are factory farms. Yes. Right. So, uh, factory farms are, these are farms that, you know, these are collectors getting coffee from small farms that, you know, aren't being, paid what they need to be paid or not because there's a middleman sort of acquiring things that simply go into a silo absolutely there's good and bad in any industry and people take advantage of other people especially when there's a lack of communication but that's the great thing about the the evolution of our world the globalization you know i think that with with the access to internet in the middle of nowhere which is just insane to be in the middle of a, a jungle and have internet i think that with that farmers are being educated and they're starting to understand what what they need to know to sell their coffee, to sell their product. As the, you know, the more they know about their product, the more the more money they can get for it, or the better they can represent it. And I think that you know, there's just a lot of companies out there that push the the sexy side of coffee when the reality of the situation is it's someone's livelihood, and it, it you know we've we've got to treat it like that. While I'm sure you guys aren't the cheapest coffee supplier. Right. Can you speak to the economics and sort of the financial end of it? And how are you able to, while selling this commodity where you need to keep the margins as tight as you can, right. able to invest the time in one, doing those travels, making relationships with farmers, having an innovation lab where you're truly sort of linking up the coffee that you discover and then finding the best way to roast it in order to gain the ranking that that it can, that a cup right. of coffee can't. Because I imagine some beans can't be a 96. Right. So no, that's the case for sure. Is it simply sort of that's your goal and so that's why you do it that way? I mean, yes. I mean, that's, that's such a great question. I, I how think, do you do it? How do we do it? Open communication relationships. So it's, it's funny, like going from a corporate setting to going to a small business setting, usually you find it to be a little bit more lax in the small business. And it's not, you know, there's not as many like things that are black and white. There's a lot of gray. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, it's even greater in the coffee industry, you know, going from corporate coffee to, to regular, like to like a small business like us, we, there's a lot of gray, there's a lot of feelings. And in business, you know, that might not necessarily be 
the best way to, to look at things. But at the same time, we're all people. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're in, in the jungles of, you know, Papua New Guinea or if you're in New York City, we should all be treated the same and we should all we should all have open relationships with each, with each other and open communication and understanding. And so I think that us just being completely honest and saying, hey, we need to make this mutually beneficial. I want to help you, but at the same time, I have those cost of goods that I have to worry about. I'm right. a business and I, and, and, you know, at, Greg has to think about it all the time. Like, you know, I've got to support these 50 employees or whatever. And so there's, there's numbers that go into it, but at the same time there's feelings and there's, there's relationships. And I think that a solid foundation, a, a good relationship will get you further in the future. It's, it's long-term investment. And again, it's sustainability rather than instant gratification. Great. Brandon, thank you so much for no, your time. No, thank you, man. Yeah. Really appreciate it. This week, the Confluence Cast is sponsored by Destination Donuts. Their unique, decadent donuts use quality ingredients. They never put any preservatives, additives, or other fake stuff in their goodies, and they strive to use locally sourced ingredients whenever possible. Swing by their locations in the North Market and select coffee shops throughout Columbus to take care of your donut fix. You'll be glad you did. Check out their flavors and locations at DestinationDonuts.com. Sitting down here with Jeff Davis, owner of Cafe Brioso, celebrating around about 15 years in business on East Gay Street. Just this year, is that right? Open the Long Street location? January 4th. Great. Great. And how's Long Street going? It's going very well. You know, the point of that expansion was to expand our coffee brand and our production ability. So that was number one, nailing down all that, working with now a satellite location in two locations, ironing out how the coffee flows. So that's gone very well. Uh, we're starting to see a lot more cup traffic because we have a coffee bar there as well Okay. Uh, with the students of CCAD and Columbus State coming back and, and yeah. having, you know, nine months of business in, we're, we're now starting to see some very good cup traffic. Well, that kind of sucks that it had to wait so long for that sort of traffic to increase, right? We knew it was going to be a long wait when we signed the lease. So we knew we had, you know, a year plus before the landlord was going to work on the space and and we would be in there. And then, of course, there were delays on top of that. Right. Uh, You know, so the goal had been to open before school started up in the fall of 2015. Okay. And we got open in January. You know, it's winter. The Students were gone for a while. The residential neighborhood is being built all around us. Yeah. So that's, a you know, people moving in all the time, but everything is still being built. Right. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's go back 15 years. Okay. How did you start Brioso? Well, I started in the coffee business in 1995. I was fortunate enough to get a job at Stoff's Coffee Roasters, which was really, you know, pretty much the only game in town. Uh, Crimson Cup obviously existed back then too, but they, I see Stoff's is really what started the specialty coffee movement in Columbus, mm-hmm. you know, going back as late, early as 1988, I think they opened. Uh, so I was lucky to pursue a job and, and get a job in the production space at Stoff's. And, you know, I worked my butt off every day uh, until I got an opportunity to train to roast. Because uh, you were doing like delivery work. Yeah, I started time. as a delivery driver, the person that uh, added the flavoring to the flavor added coffee. Okay. Is that just dumping a bag so of just, sugar you know, into something? Or? Uh, there, there are specific uh, flavor oils, they're called, where okay. you would apply them to the beans as a percentage by weight 
Oh, okay. So this is not like pouring all, in all the sugary roast. syrup into... Right. Okay. And you came to Columbus to be a student at uh, Capital. I went to school at Capital, yes. And what did you study there? Political science. And how does that translate into coffee? It does not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I learned enough about political science to learn that I don't think that's the world for me. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. You know, I'm kind of a blue collar guy. I like, I like hands-on work. You know, obviously politics still interests me greatly, but uh, coffee is my passion. Okay. Talk to me about how Brioso actually got started. Well, I'd gotten a little burned out <clears throat> at Stoffs and, and left, but I had really developed my skills specifically to cupping, tasting coffee, and roasting coffee. And can you sort of define cupping? Uh, cupping is just the process of evaluating green coffee for purchase. Okay. Really is how I use it. It's the language that producers, exporters, importers, roasters would all use to communicate about the qualities of coffee. Gotcha. And so you you gained some expertise and said, I don't necessarily want another job. I don't necessarily want to work for another person. I sought out the coffee business and getting a job at Stoffs because I needed to wake up every day and go to work to do something that I love to do and was passionate about regardless of how much money I was making or any other circumstances other than I cannot wait to get to work. Okay. So that's really what drew me to the coffee business. I guess I'd always been kind of an entrepreneurial minded person, you know, without having a clear idea what I wanted to do, always wanted to have my own business. Then when I had the skill and was able to develop the skill of, of roasting coffee, I thought it was time to kind of take the plunge. I wasn't really actively working on another business when I left Stoffs, but my mom called me one day and said, you know, knew it was a dream to own my own business. I had talked about opening a coffee place. She calls me and says, hey, we have a little bit of seed money. I want you to get started on this full-time. That was that was the call that got it, you know, and then really the next morning, you know, that's my full-time job. And so that's when you start looking for spaces, when you start figuring out, you know. Yeah, I hired a, I hired a business consultant first. Okay, You know, I'd Smart. definitely done a lot of reading. What was that process like? For, the, for those that are thinking about starting their own business, that's obviously a way to do it. What was it like working with a business consultant, getting it all going? Uh, I think that he kind of just took worrying about the whole big thing away from me and then fed me weekly. You know, we would have a weekly meeting and then each week he would feed me the next step and give me a list of homework. Okay. I don't think that I could have done it nearly as well without a business consultant. It was certainly not as efficiently a little bit of an investment, but it wasn't a reach right. at all. And I thought that was, you know, maybe the best money that I had spent on the whole project right from the get go. Is it sort of a process where the first week they're like, okay, now you get incorporated. Now you set up a bank account. Now you look for a location. Yes. Now you price out the cost of build out. Now you price out the cost of equipment. You then go and do the homework, bring it back to them. And they may even say, uh, this doesn't seem reasonable. Right. Okay. Yes. Were there points like that where you were like, I want the biggest roaster so that I can go into, cause you weren't in wholesale. You guys were just doing you were just roasting for yourself. Yeah, I was only, point. as far as the, the roaster was concerned, was only focused on roasting coffee for us. Right. Do you guys roast at the Gay Street location anymore? No. Okay. There'll be bigger and better things to come for that location. Why is that? Well, one, just the practical, you know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I wasn't really sure when we opened the roastery how I was going to handle that just because it was part of the neighborhood and, and me being there and the roaster being there, you know, sells a lot of beans, brings people into the store. It's just been part of, of that corner for 15 years. And right. I wasn't sure what was going to happen with that. Mainly at this point, you know, the neighborhood is evolving and changing and there's big investment going 
going on surrounding our location and you know we need to kind of reinvest and and renovate the store to match that and match what the neighborhood yeah so what you're saying is getting more seats in there being able to sort of serve more people because that's the primary business of that location Yeah, kind of fixing some of the mistakes that i made in the 15 years ago on the design okay uh, being a little bit more high volume uh being able to improve our kitchen mainly with the space and equipment and facilities which will allow us to do more and more interesting food potentially stuff on the weekends like brunch what other mistakes do you think that you made at the time that you opened or what other sort of mistakes did you make in the past I mean, the, 15 years the location finding the space was very difficult you okay. know, we had done our homework on all the neighborhoods that were good neighborhoods most of them were either most of them were connected to downtown so they were centrally located but it wasn't downtown all the neighborhoods connecting clintonville was a Probably the the top choice at the time. And I just wasn't, was getting very discouraged, honestly, about finding the space. We had not looked at downtown. So I drove downtown, parked in the alley and said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk all these streets and see something that visually appeals to me. This is where I want to come to work every day. Well, and for those that don't know, Gay Street was a lot different back then. Yeah. You know, downtown was, was rough. It wasn't very appealing, but Gay, Gay Street actually kind of stood out Okay, with all the small buildings that were left. It had that charming appeal especially to pedestrians still a walkable little strip. still walkable you know all the changes that have been made since we've been there have, you know really made it much more walkable Fantastic. Fantastic. So I, I saw that the, you know, the city and other business leaders had identified that corridor as a place that's going to do well and help bring downtown up. When did you make the decision to basically expand to move into the Longstreet location? Well, I knew when it would get uncomfortable with the production of the coffee and the roasting that it would be time to get a bigger machine. Okay. So we had hit that point and been there for a couple years where, you know, that roaster is maxed out. Okay. You're literally roasting as much as you possibly can and still trying to keep up. So initially, I looked at upgrading our production capabilities in the context of staying in the space, which just was not possible. A larger roaster was not going to fit in there. Uh, Other problems like getting green coffee delivered at the corner of High and Gay became very difficult. Okay. Uh, Well, I imagine some storage issues too, right? You know, we were storing coffee in the basement, so we would unload bags, sometimes possibly from High Street while sitting in the bus lane, moving them one by one into the elevator down to the basement move them back up when you need to start using them it was a lot of work and very inefficient and that's not a great elevator i have to say (laughs) (laughs) so it was clear if we were going to do more with our production we needed to do it somewhere else okay and you chose to stay in downtown it is a less sort of traveled less pedestrian friendly area of downtown but it's certainly not you know a warehouse district or you know something by the airport right we had kind of looked at at a warehouse first we would have been able to get up and running a lot sooner the very first thing i did was purchase the roaster okay and then went to find a space was Uh, that cart before the horse a little bit uh yeah i guess looking back it it turned out that way okay not to be critical i I, I don't well it was a a unique situation where the roaster was in the united states because it was at the annual coffee convention okay so it had already been imported. There was a discount. It was an opportunity that needed to be jumped on right away. Is it fair to say that that was actually the impetus for going ahead and moving forward with a new space? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. It, it had to happen, but something has to happen first. You know, right. The first domino has to fall. Sometimes that's the way that stuff <laughs> so happens. It turns out that that's the way that it was. We had looked at moving into a warehouse. I, I like being able to sell cups of coffee next to the roaster. 
Okay. I like the process being visible. I like people coming into the store. You know, I like interacting with customers. Well, and seeing the whole process. Now, where do you purchase most of your beans from? I use a couple bigger coffee importers okay. that actually own their own warehouses in the U.S. So they're the only two importers that own their warehouses. You know it's coming and when it's coming. Yes, they're, they're very good with getting the coffee to us on time. I've worked with both for a long time. One of them I've worked with almost our entire history. Okay. And I work with a, a direct trade relationship with a coffee farmer in Colombia that I'm in contact with, you know, through text messaging, Facebook, other social media, email on a regular basis. Uh-huh. And they've actually been to our shop numerous times. Another, what I would call a boutique importer called 90 Plus Coffee, really super high-end coffees, very limited, very small amounts. What is the name of the score? 90 Plus is a reference. 90, yes, 90 Plus is a reference to the cupping score. Right. So their company was kind of based on the idea that we're only going to bring in coffees that would score above 90 out of 100 in the cupping score with the goal of getting multiples of the market prices that farmers are paid for coffee, getting them multiples of that in return for cup quality. So in addition to trying to maintain sort of a fair trade business model, you've also done a little bit of endeavoring and moving towards endeavoring into social enterprise activities. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, we have a relationship with Starfish Alliance that serves the foster care community in central Ohio. All age groups, the specific program we're involved with is Link 22, serve foster kids who have turned 18 and were not adopted by their foster parents. They've aged out. They've aged out. Like I was in college and and, and most of us, you have support system mm-hmm. of parents, family members, friends, places to crash, you know. Right. And if you need money or in a tough spot, you have somebody to go to, to help you. These kids don't have that. They might not have the the mentoring that you need in early adulthood to to kind of find your way. So I I thought that that coffee and our training program would be a really good fit for those kids to kind of teach them communication, life skills, uh, you know, simple things like following recipes, working with other people. Right. And while it is a pretty specific trade that you just outlined, certainly a lot of skills that are applicable in a lot of different areas. So what, what is the nature of your partnership then? Is it is it simply the training? and? Yeah, we had worked on a concept to open a very small coffee bar and we would train them. Eventually they would run the coffee bar and there would be kind of a tiered training based on based on success. So if you're successfully have become a barista, then, then next we're going to start working on you being a manager. Okay. If you've successfully become a manager, then we're going to train you to think like an entrepreneur and a business owner. Is this a project that's still in process? So like the, still the, coffee bar, the coffee bar idea is off the table for the moment. Okay. Uh, So we're working on an internship hopefully at least two interns that we will train regular baristas for our company. And they'll also have the enterprise piece would be the interns kind of developing their own coffee brand, maybe engaging in some markets that the Brioso coffee doesn't and might be a better fit for them, like office coffee, fundraiser type of coffee to pay for their internship. That's great. And then then all of the the entire program, Blink22, that Starfish is doing, we will use the Brioso coffee space for all. There's a number of other organizations and and layers to the program that don't directly involve us. Gotcha. Let's turn a little bit. Since you've opened the Longstreet location, you are doing wholesale now. Yes. How's that going in terms of business development and what sort of main lines of work have you been in? You know, we were very confident in our product. 
Okay. But when we start looking at getting serious about, about wholesaling, there was just a lot of things due to the nature of the business at Cafe Brioso, how busy, you know, it's a high volume cafe. Mm-hmm. You really are just kind of reactive to what happens every day. And, right. And You're not putting out proactive. fires. Right. So, you know, being in that space gave us some time to sit down and be more proactive about it. And, you know, we at this point, we've kind of determined that we have a lot of work to do before we really want to make a push to do a lot of wholesaling. It's fair to say you are literally in a time of transition of yes. like you've gotten that long street location yes. up and like now you're sort of able to stand up, look over, you know, your domain and say, okay, what do we do now? And we, we also have to, to manage a high volume cafe f- right. from an, from almost another location. You know, I'm at both locations every day, but okay. I'm trying to learn how to manage that place without me being there all the time. And I, I think that was a bit of an adjustment. Is that difficult for you yeah, to we, sort of take you your know, hands we, off well, a little we bit took, more? We took strong people out out of that location and put them into the new location. And then just the whole new thing of having two businesses. Right. It's entirely different. Yeah. Other than having two businesses and sort of the added just labor on you, what do you find is the most difficult part of owning a business? Is it sort of managing those people? Is it the business hoops that you have to jump through? Is it the budgeting? Is it the finance? What 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 are the things that you not necessarily struggle with, but certainly take up a lot more time than you thought was going to? Day to day, it's managing the people. Okay. Personally, I'd say I struggle more with the, the office type of work, you know, being a hands-on guy, being a coffee roaster. Because you, know, you don't want to go to the back office and right. do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I'm in the office and I can hear what's going on uh, in the cafe and I would certainly much rather be there. You know, the finance, the numbers. Doing payroll sucks, man. Staying on top of that, I do have some, my mom is a partner in the business and she's okay. a fantastic help coming down a couple of days and really helping with the bulk of the office work. Now, technology has changed quite a bit since we've opened that have definitely made all the numbers and dollars made that much, much easier you don't have a notebook anymore. You it. have a laptop, right? Right. Because you're from Kenton, Ohio. Small town, Northwest Ohio. And so your mom's still up there and yes. comes down? Comes down awesome. a couple of days a week. Jeff, can you talk a little bit about sort of the experience at Brioso, what you see a customer experiencing, and also sort of what you wish a customer would know about coffee? I think that a vast majority of the population drinks it. I don't know that they know a whole lot about it. I could probably talk for hours okay. on that question. Just to back up a little bit, we're coffee guys. We're kind of coffee nerds. Everyone is very passionate about what we do and, and has their own love story with coffee. Okay. Um, do you, other than Stoffs, do you have a love story? I mean, my, you know, before I worked at Stoffs, that my, what turned me on was going to Stoffs and buying single origin coffee, uh, not putting cream and sugar in it, you know, in the context of the 90s, preparing it well, mm-hmm. and just being blown away at the flavors that are in the coffee. Well, and the diversity that's there, right? So I think that's always been in my mind. You know, we're, we're kind of purist. Our, our job is to buy really good green coffee. Then we process it by roasting it. And then we use water to extract flavors from it. Okay. And that's all that we do for every process that we have. But so there we, is we a try lot to that keep goes it, into that. Yeah. You know, but we try to keep it simple and, you know, to not get off track on what we're doing. Okay. Half the quality in your cup of coffee, uh, half of that comes from the green coffee that was used. The other half of it's going to come from the processing and the grinding and the extracting. So at the cafe, you know, my job is to source the coffee, uh, which would be a process of, of getting green coffee in, sample roasting it, cupping it. Uh, one thing that's changed with the new place is that will now involve more of the staff instead of just really solely being my job. Well, because you're and, able to in terms of space, right? right? 
Right. So that, that's been something that's really cool is to get everybody cupping and to have more input on the process of what coffee I'm buying. Because then when we bring it in, those employees that participated in that have ownership of that already. They know that coffee already. They know what to expect. They can they talk about it. bringing it here. They have a passion in selling and they're, it. And they're making it their own when they're, they're selling it to people. You know, that's really, from the customer's standpoint, our experience is very one-on-one and we rely on verbal communication to really provide the great experience we don't have a lot of printed materials we don't have a lot of stuff to read you know we train our people to be able to articulate our products and services to customers right and you know you really you kind of have to feel out each individual customer to find out where they're at in their coffee journey and the things that they like the language sometimes gets confusing because people coffee shops use different language you know well and it's the, a whole the culture. national chain has their own language right that none of the rest of us use so <laughs> they it can just, get they just made up on their own it can get confusing right what are some of the basic things that you find that people don't know about coffee again it's green you roast it you then use water i think to one of the biggest the things to that's hard to understand unless you work with coffee every day is how much it changes. Okay. It's never in a state of equilibrium, whether it's on the tree, whether it's in the green form or roasted form, uh, it will change faster or slower at different points in that change. And, and at the higher end, you know, even if we've done everything well, it's going to change from day to day. The same coffee is going to change a little bit over time. What's an ideal amount of time from roast to brew? Uh, we'd like to work with everything within a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Depending on, on where we're going to plug it in, espresso can last a little bit longer. I definitely wouldn't want anyone buying, purchasing bean coffee or ground and taking it home. That was beyond two weeks. Okay. Assuming that they're going to consume it in the next two weeks. How do you... So I would like everything to be consumed within a month of coming out of the roaster at worst. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about the Columbus coffee culture and sort of what you've seen over the past 15 years. Well, I guess uh, when we opened the cafe in 2001, there were really two players in the market. Two games in town, yeah, right? Uh, Stoffs and, and Crimson Cup. Okay. Crimson Cup, I believe, did not have a storefront. It was just a, a wholesale roasting facility at that point. Right. Right. Uh, the the third wave coffee is starting to take hold in other places like San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, more West Coast. What do you mean first. by third wave? Uh, sometimes we describe the industry in, in waves as right. far as like what its focus was. Uh, first wave, second wave, third wave. Right. You know, the, the market is just learning about specialty coffee. So there was a lot of focus on roast, large lattes with gobs of flavored syrups you come into a coffee shop and there's there's a hundred choices of syrups that you can add with whipped cream on top so we're making you know you we're making milkshake uh it's not coffee is that what you're saying that's not it's a milkshake okay that's fair but that's if that's your fair. if if that's your access point to coffee like i don't want to be a coffee snob and and sit here and say that that offends me because that's bringing people into the market eventually some of those people are going to think isn't there something more interesting or better for me to experience in the coffee world right and those people might go towards a shorter drink like a cappuccino or or black coffee right who else again when you got started it, there were only a couple of games in town who else now is doing good work whether they be a roaster or just a coffee shop the thing i hate about this question is my fear of leaving somebody that's doing a good job out okay and that's a that's a good problem to have you know i kind of felt like we were on an island when we opened up and that we had to still sell the idea of specialty coffee to people now having other coffee businesses in town especially the roasters that we've seen in really the last i guess 10 years 
years it's been happening is we don't really have to push the idea of specialty coffee as much because and people it's just in general it. become more popular. Okay. So now we can focus on like our interpretation, our style and the way that we like to do things. And so there's no sort of infighting among that community. It's much uh, well, more Well, I mean, like, you know, I, I think that part of the success were all of us working with each other. Uh, there's, there's still a website out there that exists from 2008, 2009, Columbus Coffee. I believe. Okay. So we started working together back then. Uh, Andy Luck from Luck Brothers was was one of the initial people. Well, now you guys are doing the coffee experience for, through Experience yeah, Columbus. So, you know, we, we definitely uh, spent time with each other, uh, did events called Barista Jams. Okay. Where we all get together and... And make coffee, have some fun little competitions, interact with each other. It's a networking event for right. for coffee nerds. Well, similar to like a cocktail competition right. or something like that. That really fostered a sense of community among the coffee people locally. So I think that's been a big part of our success. Uh, the Columbus, the coffee roast that was done at the North Market was one of the first times I remember everybody sitting in a room at the same time having a conversation. Uh, so that, that was a big event. Uh, whenever we go to the national events, we all support and hang out with each other right uh we go to each other's shops uh we're more than happy you know when you get when you get a customer that you know is is really turned on to specialty coffee or they're from out of town it's hey you need to go to this place and this place and this place right so well it's, and it's, it's great to sort of see that that sort of spirit you don't of, want to be the only one right well it's good to see that spirit of collaboration that it is also within the coffee community as well so, you know, with the success that's that's come with that, it's gotten a little bit tougher, but I feel like we're all friends and we all speak very well of each other. That's a big part of why Columbus has a scene to the point where somebody like Experience Columbus gravitates to it and sees to it, use yeah. it for, for what their mission is. Great. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today and best of luck with the wholesale business and the new location. And it sounds like everything's going gangbusters. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, your family, contacts, enemies, your local roaster. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week. <laughs>